a copy of our confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith of 1689. Uh, if you're able to share with someone who you're seated next to, it would be uh, a blessing indeed. And we're going to start a series that is full of meat and treasure. And I would like to ask you to pay attention and avoid distractions because once the information is gone, it has passed you. <laughs> and once you miss it, you have missed a huge chunk of valuable. It's like someone who goes to the mine, to the gold mines, and digs so deep or uh, digs so wide and then misses the rich ore of deposits of gold because he gave up or became or because he became distracted so let us uh, pay attention to what we are about to receive this morning we'll be looking at chapter 7 which we, we hope to spend a lot of time in because it's quite important and it separates uh, I would say denominations because it is about the understanding of the Bible. How you understand the Bible and how you read the Bible is important for faith and practice. Because if you miss what the Bible teaches, you miss a huge chunk of what life is all about. Why things are the way they are. What does the Bible teach? You might ask, Pastor, what does covenants have to do with life? Let us begin together in point one which will spend all our time together in this morning. It deserves much attention. Of God's covenant. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures owe obedience to him as their creator, they could have, sorry, they could never have attained the reward of life except by some voluntary condescension. This just means stooping down. God is stooping down. That's condescension. Don't be too blown away by the big words. On the part of God. He has been pleased to express this condescension by way of covenant. All right. This, as I said earlier on, I'll stress it again, requires a keen ear and a working brain. If you don't listen, you'll be lost. That's the warning. You'll be lost. If you don't listen and pay attention to what is going to be said and taught in the series, you'll be lost and you'll be confused. Let me just say it from the outset. I'll try to be as clear as possible, to use simplistic language, to use illustrations that are understandable to both you and I, even to the little children, so that we all get what is being taught. So this chapter introduces what is called 1689 Federalism. So this confession is the second London Baptist Confession of Faith of the 1689, where Baptists of old gathered together of like mind who came out of the Church of England, 
who were non-conformists, they were revolting against the legalist teachings and uh, you know some of the heretical teachings of the of the Church of England, and they formed an alliance. There was a first uh, Baptist Confession of Faith, which was earlier on um, in the 1600s. This one was the second one, and probably edited by a man called Benjamin Keach, who lived around about the same time as Charles Haddon Spurgeon. These were Baptists of old. So when we talk about federalism, what is being taught is that Adam is the federal head of all mankind. That is what federalism is. And when we, call, when we add 1689, the clause is that the Reformed Baptist of the Second London Baptist a Confession of Faith of 1689 taught Baptist federalism. They taught this federalism. Many people don't teach it. You know, people don't, there are people who don't believe that Adam is our federal head. So that is not called federalism. Federalism teaches that Adam is our federal head. We all come from Adam. Black or white, Chinese, Jamaican, etc., etc. You may think that you are of a special tribe, but the honest truth is that you come from Adam. How the intricate details were worked out by God is amazing. And you know, we see that in the Tower of Babel, he confused people, the languages, they spread all over the world, etc., etc. But that does not nullify that we come from Adam. And this federalism basically places the Bible in three sort of categories. There's a framework in which we ought to read the Bible. And that is this, that the Bible is divided into three parts. There is the creation of mankind and everything that is within uh, the universe and the earth, etc., etc. Then there is the fall. So we ought to read the Bible in that framework. Creation, the fall, and redemption. It doesn't matter whether you are in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, whether you are in Philippians. You need to read that Bi the Bible through that lens. Because there are people who sort of, you know, they are dispensationalists who sort of uh, nullify, they've They've made, they've, they've divided the Bible into dispensations. And so they nullify the covenants that God made with his people and only focus on one, which is the covenant of, uh, of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, the new covenant. And so it is important for us to walk through these so that we understand what the Bible teaches. So in this chapter, we see that this is the Adamic covenant of works. Why is it called the covenant of works? First of all, before, before we even get there, we need to establish a few things. God created man upright. He created Adam upright. That's the first establishment of a foundation. Secondly, he gave man a mandate. So he created man upright, which is Adam. That's the f first man. Uh, whether 
people try to give you near ancient Near East theories. Why did uh, you know uh, Cain wander out into uh, you know another land and find many people? What we know and believe and affirm is that Adam was the first man, according to creation narrative. There's nothing else we can conjure up. Anything else is outside of scripture, it's human wisdom and must be rejected by, by, by the Christian church. Sadly, many churches have adopted that view and some people have now wandered off into myths. He gave man a mandate, a law, a rule, which was to affect, listen to this word, his posterity, which was to affect his offspring. All right? Where do we read this? Turn, turn with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. All of us are meant to have a, a copy of, of God's word so that we follow and understand and digest and wrestle with the scriptures. Genesis 2, verse 15 to 17. The word of God says there, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. This is the first man. To, to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely... So this is, this is now the mandate, the law. This is the rule of law for Adam. This is how he was to live. Alright? You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. There is a positive aspect. There is a negative aspect. The, the negative aspect is restrictive. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what the Bible says. If we're all together in the Bible, we will agree. That there, there was the rule of law, the modus operandi. This was how Adam was to operate. Interestingly, if you see, it was not Adam who created himself. It was not Adam who thought of creation. It was God, the most wise, infinite, most holy, most just, most majestic, righteous and holy creating man and once he creates man he puts him in the garden and once he puts him in the garden he gives him a mandate he gives him a rule of law this is what you are meant to do and this is what you're not meant to do and we all know how it ended adam fell uh, though his wife was in, in order, in respect to order, <laughs> his wife was the one who ate first and gave to him who was with his wife. And yet, with respect to federalism, Romans 5.12 says, through one man sin entered the world. The, the Bible recognizes Adam as the sole manufacturer of sin. <laughs> so, the, the fact that Adam fell does not nullify the fact that those who follow after him were bound to the covenant of works. 
Alright? And I'll, and I'll highlight what, what this means as the confession relays it to us. We cannot be right with God or before God through God's covenant with Adam. Adam broke the covenant. So if you are still in Adam, you are under the curse of God. That is what 1689 federalism emphasizes and this is what we believe the Bible emphasizes. You see it in multiple texts where the Bible makes uh, a distinction between the first Adam and the second Adam. The second Adam is Christ. The first Adam is Adam who disobeyed and fell under a curse. Christ obeyed and won for himself a people. He redeemed a people. He is the appropriate person to redeem people from sin, not Adam. People think that you can just live your life. They think that, oh, just because life is good and uh, I'm working, I'm eating, and I am uh, subduing the earth and multiplying, then I'm fine. That's how naturally the human being thinks. Uh, everything is well. Until they read the Bible. That in actual fact, mankind is under a curse in his natural state because of Adam. So, we continue. Man is responsible to obey God. The Bible is binding to all. No one is exempt. Man is responsible to obey God as his creator. Not only acknowledge, but obey. So, we go back to our confession. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures all obedience to him as their creator they could have never they could never have attained the reward of life so when he talks about the distance between god and the creature it is not talking about space but it is talking about the creator creature distinction you are not god i'm sorry to spell it out to you this morning you are created in the image of God, but you are a speck of dust in comparison to God. If you read the 8th Psalm, it says, what is man? When you look at all the vastness of the universe, what is man that you are mindful of him? So there's a creature create, uh, creator distinction there. God is different. Sometimes in our finite minds and our ignorance and our sinfulness we want to equate ourselves to God in fact we want to make a God of ourselves we think we are our own deity we think that we are our own rulers and yet we see in the Bible that there is a vast creator who stooped down to create man this Worthless, if you if you would like me, if you'd allow me to use that word, yeah, because really, what was Adam, <laughs> or what is Eve? She was created from a rib. Adam was created from the dust, 
From dust you were created, and dust you will return. You will die. You, you disintegrate, you age, you are sick. Uh, you're not as beautiful as you were four years ago. It's the marks of, of sin and that we are different. And we see that even before the fall of man, there was a distance between God and Adam. God, the creator of the universe, created Adam and put him in the garden. And, and so this is very important because it now sets the tone or the framework for us to think of these terms and look at these things through that lens. That in actual fact, I, at my natural state, already owe obedience to God. Mankind owes obedience to God, not God to mankind. That's, that's heresy. That is unorthodox. That is not true biblical teaching. It's man-centered theology. We are talking about God-centered theology here. That God is owed worship by his creatures. Obedience. Because he's their creator. There's so many texts, right? If you read Romans 1, uh, in fact, you turn there, one of the go-to texts of, of this, Romans 1, and I'll just read verse 23 to 25. Romans 1, the word of God says, in fact, I'll read from verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves. So God created man and man, man worshipped something else. That's the, that's the natural, natural trajectory of mankind. Even children. You don't have to teach a child idolatry. It is embedded in their hearts. You don't have to teach them many things before you see that their hearts are averse to obedience. You don't have to teach them many things to see that actually there is a nature, a law that operates within them that makes them do what they do. And people say, oh, it's, uh, you know, it's just a baby. It's true, fair enough. All right, fair enough. <laughs> the sympathizers will say, oh, that's just a baby. Uh, leave the, you know. But the truth is, there is something operating. And even, it, 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 it even applies to adults. Ah, no, he murdered because uh, he's got mental illness. No. No, no, no. There's something within that man that, if unchecked, could result in devastation. They need God. They need God. They are rebellious. They are against God. They're not for God. In an act 
or foolishness Adam disobeyed. So we do not want to spend too much time on that portion, but we want to continue. So all mankind owes obedience. So obedience to him as their creator, comma, they could have never attained the reward of life except by some voluntary condescension of God. So Adam in his state and estate, because he was in the garden, could have never attained the reward of life, whatever that would have looked like in that time, except by some voluntary stooping down on the part of God. This is why God deserves our, 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 our obedience and our worship. He demands, no matter the feelings that we harbor, the, no matter the season of life, no matter what's happening in the world. Right now there's a war in Israel and uh, Palestine. People are dying. The, the videos are horrendous. People are being shot in broad daylight. But no matter that season, the human being must obey and worship God. Because God has stooped down to reach the human. On the part of God, he has been pleased to express this condescension by way of covenant. So what is a covenant? In a general sense, a covenant is a simple binding agreement or compact between two or more parties. In legal terms, it is a formal sealed agreement or contract. The word is not there, obviously, in the scriptures. If you read the word, you won't see covenant. But here we're, we're explaining and expressing in human terms uh, the wording. This is what Nehemiah Cox says. He says, a declaration of his sovereign pleasure. This is God concerning the benefits he will bestow on them, the communion they will have with him, and the way and means by which this will be enjoyed. So the covenant, a covenant between God and man is one-sided. It's an imposition. <laughs> you who don't like the words, hey, you imposed yourself on me. It is imposed by God. It is a sovereign arrangement. Adam was helpless. And God said, you who are helpless and worthless, I have made you, I have created you to be worth something. This is what you must do. Because if you don't do it, these are the penalties. <laughs> that's, what, that's really what the covenant of works, the Adamic covenant was or is with God. If, if Adam had obeyed, he and his, his posterity after him, he, him and his offspring, would have retained life and would have been sealed in justice. 
But his disobedience marked the entrance of death into the world. The fall placed Adam and all his prosperity, his posterity under condemnation. The covenant of works was conditional. It was not unconditional. It was conditional. There were conditions and provided no way to expiate. In other words, no way to undo the consequences. So the covenant that God had with Adam was that if you do this, you shall surely die. There is no way you can undo what has been done here. So that's why there's death in this world. That's why there's sickness. And it can never be overemphasized, dear friends, that this is because of the fall. If you can't trace the death of mankind anywhere else in history than in the garden, you can try to come up with theories, oh, the Big Bang Theory, oh, we're created uh, out of the Big Bang, we, uh, you know, we were once baboons, that Darwinian nonsense, it's nonsense, really. We were never baboons, we were created in the image of God. In fact, that is an insult to God, to think that people were baboons at one time. Listen to what Richard Barcelos says in terms of the covenant. He's a very good scholar, Reformed Baptist scholar. He says that in the covenant we have the following. Sovereign divine imposition. Secondly, representation by Adam, which is federal or covenantal headship. A sinless image-bearing son of God. Adam was sinless at that time, right? He was a child of God, right? <laughs> he was an image-bearer of God, yes. A conditional element, obedience. A penalty for disobedience. Those were the, these are the stipulations of the covenant. A promise of reward, i.e. an eschatological potential or betterment. In other words, the covenant of works that God imposed upon Adam, if you will, had a future potential. If Adam had obeyed, there was going to be flourishing. <laughs> flourishing. If Adam disobeyed, there was going to be a dwindling or a disintegration. So, Two coins. One coin, there's one side at the top, there's the other side at the bottom. There's this, if you obey, life, flourishing, submit the earth, su subdue the earth and multiply, you have more children, peace, prosperity, uh, the lions will be your friends, etc, etc. Right? Babies will touch adders, they'll play with uh, whatever, you know, all that euphoric stuff that people now want to live in now. On the other side of the coin, there is disobedience, punishment, disintegration, dwindling, sin, death, war, disease, hunger, strife. Uh, all, all the bad things that you see are coming from the disobedience of Adam. It was, it was because Adam broke the covenant. There was, there was a covenant, he broke it. And this is why, when we think about even the marriage, right? Marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman. 
death must be emphasized in this day. Adultery is breaking that covenant. That's why Hebrews 13.5 says, Do keep, keep the marriage bed undefiled and holy because God will judge the adulterous and sexually immoral. But there are consequences to adultery. Once you, once you, 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 you commit adultery, you have broken your promises to your spouse. The marriage covenant is now spoiled. Yes, it can be uh, built up again or remade in terms of reconciliation, etc., etc., forgiveness, all those things. But you have broken the covenant. <laughs> it's, 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 it is, it, in a way, in a way, it is unrepairable. So in this way, Adam could not repair what, 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 uh, his disobedience to God. So, let us now conclude by objections to Adam's covenant of works. Some people may object to our categorization of the relation which Adam had with God as a covenant seeing that there is nothing in Genesis 1 to 3 said about a covenant. So the very wise biblicists of nowadays, the people who demand more evidence, where is it in the Bible? Chapter verse, what are you talking about, Pastor? A covenant. Hapana covenant, He's just being given laws. He broke But there's no covenant. Well, what about the word Trinity? Is there Trinity in the Bible? Do you hear? Oh, we are a Trinity. No. See, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three distinct persons, one God. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses would then object and say, No, you know, you can't have Jesus was a special man. And Jesus cannot be God because, you know, how, how, how? Where is it written in the Bible, Trinity? And they'll say, why is it written in the Bible, Covenant? That is the first step of error, of dispensationalism, charismaticism. Because charismatics also deny the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the original fall of man. If you deny that mankind fell, then we cannot have a conversation. There's, there's nothing we can talk about. If you, deny, if you deny that uh, Adam broke the covenant with God, we cannot talk about anything. Uh, there's no conversation. Because you don't understand the whole scope of things. You are without understanding. But if we start from the beginning... <laughs> systematically going through the scriptures reasoning not coming with certain per perceptions into the scriptures to read into the scriptures but really soaking in the word of God what does God say we will come to this position so there are people who object that way 
who asked them, what about the Trinity? Uh, and really, there is no argument against this covenant. You would really have to squeeze a camel through the eye of the needle. And as we will see later on, as we continue in this study of covenants, we will see that a misunderstanding of this has an effect in how you understand the fall of man, how you even understand uh, how one is made righteous. And this is where we clash with Presbyterians. Because although they affirm that mankind is sinful, they will go therefore then and make the Abrahamic covenant as a covenant of grace. <laughs> that is where the problem is. And yet we know that the new covenant of grace is in Christ. So they've taken that Abrahamic covenant that you know you'll be uh, you'll be blessed, etc., etc. You you know the uh, you have uh, uh, you have much offspring as much as you know the grain of sand, etc., etc. And they've taken that to mean oh yes, that just means that you know by the grace of God somehow all of us are blessed, all of us who subdue just subduing the earth and multiplying means that we are saved no salvation is in jesus christ but before you get to jesus christ you need to understand the fall of man you need to understand what happened in the garden and how it affects you and i and you need to understand why a natural man in his state is in danger why is he in danger because some people don't know i'm in danger i'm in danger for if you go evangelize they'll ask you i'm in danger from what or of what you are in danger because if you're in adam not only will you die physically you are dead spiritually and you will die eternally if you if you have not believed in christ if you have not acknowledged that in Adam there's a curse you cannot be saved by Adam you need to go to another Adam, the second Adam the perfect Adam the, the, the glorious Adam who takes away the sins of the world who obeyed first Adam disobeyed in the garden second Adam obeyed in the garden Gethsemane you see, when you read the scriptures, you begin now to see the beautiful picture that God is painting in the scripture. If you don't read through those the lens of covenants, you will struggle to understand what the Bible teaches. You will struggle. Amen. I'd like to greet you all this morning. You know what? Before, before we, well, as you turn to Luke chapter 14 I would like to challenge you uh, to to stay awake um, because 